today we're going to pick up where we left off last week talking about bold crossings. This has been our focus for really a couple of months now here as we've talked about the challenges that Israel faced going from the wilderness experience, 40 years of wandering, to crossing the Jordan River, having the faith to do as God commanded them to do, uh, to overcome an obstacle, a raging river, uh, water literally overflowing its banks, uh, to where they were able to see God intervene and a miracle happened. And they experienced a bold crossing. We've been doing one chapter a week. We started with chapter one. We are now on chapter 17. And, uh, excuse me, chapter number seven. Uh, There are 17 more chapters in the book of Joshua, but today wraps up the series. Uh, We're not going to continue with the next 17 chapters. Next week, I start a new series from the book of Nehemiah. So, Joshua in chapter seven is now facing a set of circumstances that Israel has not faced yet after having had the faith to trust God in that bold crossing. They just uh, experienced an incredible victory over the people in the land as the walls of Jericho crumbled and, and literally it was a rout. It was an incredible victory. Uh, the next city, as they worked their way sequentially through the promised land, doing what God asked them to do to conquer that land, Uh, they came across a city called Ai. Uh, And unknown to Joshua, unknown to the rest of the children of Israel, something had happened. We're going to talk about that today. And and we're going to try to drill down on the idea of what it costs when we disobey God. We're going to talk about the cost of disobedience. Uh, This this is a, a message that It has an incredible upside to it, but I've got to, boy, hear my heart when I say this. This is one of those hard messages because we we have to learn from God's word. Wise people will learn a lesson by reading God's word, taking to heart the lessons learned and not having had to experience, not, not experiencing the pain of learning the lesson the hard way. And I know we kind of laugh at that sometimes, of you know, how we learn lessons the hard way. But there are some lessons you do not want to learn the hard way. And so today we're going to talk from chapter 7. This is our last uh, seventh uh, message in this series on the cost of disobedience. Because God has made it very clear to the children of Israel what they were supposed to do uh, as Jericho literally was defeated, God had given them some very clear instructions. And within the camp, within their community, uh, there was a man named Achan who disobeyed the simplicity of that camp, of that command. And as a result, those people going to the next battle experienced a terrible defeat. And so today we're going to talk about the cost of disobedience. Number one, the first thing I want you to see when we talk about the the cost of disobedience is that the greatest cost of disobedience is that you lose God's favor. Now, that 
phrasing, that term may not resonate with you. It may not mean a great deal to you. But I, I hope it will by the time we're finished here in just a couple of moments. But there is, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, a blessed privilege we have to walk in God's favor, to experience his presence. The Bible says that when we were born again, his Holy Spirit comes into our life. And the Bible goes into great detail in describing this. It's, it's not something that you're necessarily going to physically feel. You, you have to become, I think, sensitive to and listen to the Holy Spirit and aware of his presence because it's not an emotional thing. It may have emotion to it. When you came to Christ, I was age 17, right before my senior year. I just turned 17 a few weeks prior to. And I, I remember a, a sense of complete and, and total peace in knowing that I had stopped resisting what I knew God wanted me to do, and that was to humble myself and acknowledge that I was a sinner and I, I needed to be born again. I needed to be saved. And so God in his mercy was patient with me and, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and for me, it was an emotional experience and we're all wired differently. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, God the Holy Spirit has moved in. And as a result, you have the privilege when you read God's word to not only see with your eyes the words on the page, but you can hear in your heart God's spirit within you. And you can begin to live your life. There are timeless principles in God's word. Now, now hear me closely when I say this. Some people take some of those principles and they take them out of context. And there is a whole uh, school of thought regarding many of the promises God, of God in Scripture that, that take out of context some of the promises. There's a whole genre of theology called health and wealth and prosperity theology. In other words, it makes God a genie in a bottle and you rub the bottle and poof, the genie comes out, God. And here's his promise, and he promised to make you rich. Or he promised to always heal you. When, when we know from Scripture, Paul carried a thorn in his flesh, a physical affliction, that he prayed three times for God to heal him, and God chose not to. And Scripture says, God says, Paul, my grace is going to be enough. I'm not going to heal you, but I'm going to be there with you. You see, God's not a genie. We, we don't manipulate him based on a promise. So having said that, I will tell you that those promises are there for our good and we are to live by the principle of those promises and leave the blessing up to him. See, God knows what's best for us. And I assure you of this, if you get this right and you are walking by faith, doing what God has asked you to do in your life, you will sense his presence and you will experience his favor. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
So if God has called you, his purpose was to have a relationship with you through the blood of Christ. He would forgive you. God has wanted to have a relationship with his created being, with men and women, since the very first creation in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And he came down every day in the cool of the day and met with them and fellowshiped with them. God wants to have a relationship with you. And he wants to give you his favor. And when we disobey him, as is the case in this story in Ai with Achan, we'll see the story in just a moment. This is all background. We lose favor with God. And and some of you are, are maybe not aware of this idea, this principle of God's favor. And so you really are not connected in to what it even means to crave and desire God's favor. And so I want you to look at the scripture. We're going to get a little bit of the, more of the backstory here. But uh, the passage is from Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1, the first part of that first verse there. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan he had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. You remember God had made it very clear that the metals, the precious metals, were to be set aside for the purpose of putting in the national treasury. And yet, as we see this scripture, there's so much here. Chapter 7, verse number 1. God is not pleased not only with Achan, but the entire nation. And there's a profound truth here we're going to look at. People died because Achan did what he did. Uh, That's always one of the great tragedies of the world in which we live, is that there are consequences to sin. Now now let me kind of back it up and tell you on a, a very exciting positive side of this, because some of you are sitting there going, that doesn't make sense, That's that doesn't seem fair. I become a victim of someone else's failure. Someone else messes up. Someone breaks the law, gets behind the wheel of a car, drives under the influence, crosses center, hits your car, and leaves you crippled. What's fair about that? Well, I want you to understand a little more deeply this idea here today of cause and consequences. Because the Bible is very clear in telling us. You see it in this story. But to fully understand this and to get your head around what's fair, understand this as well, that not only is this a negative principle, there's a positive side to it. Do you realize every one of us here, the good things that have happened in our life are a result of God blessing us because of someone else's behavior? We live in a country that's free. We live in a country that has so many liberties, the rest of the world is willing to die to get here. And and yet, the, the truth is, our founding fathers, signing the Declaration of Independence, most of them losing their fortunes, were willing to sacrifice so that we could have this privilege of liberty. 
those who serve in our military. The, the, the cost of freedom must be reinvested in on a regular basis. And so throughout our nation's history, do you, I don't know if you really realize this, but over half a million people have died defending that freedom. And, and through many world wars, multiple world wars, and, and, and skirmishes around the world, and even to this day, We've been at war now longer than any time in our nation's history. And some of you here in this room have gone to defend our freedom. And, and the truth is, we are benefiting from that blessing right here and now. Because you paid the price. So there is a positive side to this idea, the blessing. The blessings we receive oftentimes come to us, not because of any good we have done, but because we've benefited from someone else. And, and it is certainly true with, with our salvation to know Christ in a personal way as a result of the fact that Christ came, not because he had to, but because he loves us. And he died on the cross, paid for our sins. And, and salvation is a free gift. You don't deserve that. On the opposite side of that coin, there is a timeless principle that our actions have consequences, and sometimes our actions have a negative impact on those around us. Uh, someone who has an affair breaks the promise they made to their spouse, and, and their home is torn asunder, and, and the children who are wanting so badly, you know, going through all kinds of emotional and, and physical and it's psychological and spiritual struggle. I'm not saying a single family can't overcome it. You can. God's grace is always enough. But I'm talking about, I'm trying to talk to somebody right now who's really close to breaking their marriage vow. And maybe if you realize this and walk out of here today and know that there are going to be consequences, there are going to be, there's going to be a price to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to be kept. And, and there are always consequences that go beyond our own lives. I mean, it'd be nice if we could say, I, I messed up and it's all on me. When the truth is, when we mess up, our mess up, our mess up, others around us are impacted by it. I was uh, in my office a number of years ago. And uh, someone had made an appointment, and they came, and they sat down, and they began to weep immediately, and I, I saw a broken heart, and I asked this you know, person, I said, you, you don't have to get into details, but your heart's broken. What, what can I pray with you about? And this person shared with me how they, they came directly from the, the doctor's office. Okay, They had made the appointment with the doctor, and then made, they kind of knew where it was going, made the appointment with me, came right from the doctor's office, and said in my office weeping and said these words, I've never cheated, but I now have an STD. I know it wasn't me who cheated. And I, I, my heart was just broken. I wept with this person Be, because this was someone who had become a victim of someone else's sin. Do you, do you see how that works? And, and, and this is a powerful principle that I want you to understand. That's what's happening with the nation of Israel, the whole country. The whole nation is suffering because of the actions of Achan. Uh, the fact is our, our actions do have an impact 
on people around it. It's just a sad, harsh reality. Let's, let's pick it up, the story, moving forward, what Achan's reply is. So we got to drop down a little bit here. Uh, we're still in chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. Achan saw something. He wanted it. Even though he knew he was forbidden, the cost was great. The cost was great. Now, I want to propose to you today that as awful as that loss in battle and the loss of life was, the greatest loss on this day was the loss of God's favor because that, that was far more reaching than a single defeat in a single battle. They had lost God's favor. And, and I, I, just, I can't measure enough and, and speak strongly enough to the fact that if you have experienced God's favor, you know what I'm talking about. It is something precious. It is something you want to experience to know that when you get up and you leave the house every day and wherever you go, you know that God is walking with you. And if something bad happens, you know Romans 8, 28 is true. It's going to work out for the good. And if something really cool and good happens, then you celebrate knowing that God's favor has fallen upon you. Achan had lost God's favor. And and the truth is we can lose it too. The Holy Spirit becomes silent in our life. But I I have some really good news. Some really good news. You you can lose God's favor, but you can never lose his love. Look at at the way I've written this in in your notes. You can never lose God's love, but you can lose his favor. If you're one of his children... The Bible says in Hebrews, whom he loves, he chastens, he scourges every son whom he receives. So the truth is, God loves you so much that when you mess up, he's going to treat you like a a child, one of his kids. And he, he will discipline you in a loving way. The purpose is not to punish. Discipline has a corrective measure to it. Achan had lost God's favor. The whole nation paid for it. But keep in mind, God did not stop loving his chosen people. And it's true in your life and it's true in my life. You can never lose God's love. And so when we mess up, when we do things that God says, don't do that. Don't take the Babylonian garment. Don't take the silver. Don't grab the bar of gold. Don't do those things. And we grab them and we hoard them and we we bury them. It, It becomes a secret sin. No one knows. God's waiting for us to get it right. Number two, first one took me the most time. Number two and three, very simple thoughts. Losing God's favor will make even the simplest task impossible. You see, people who lose God's favor may not notice it immediately. Achan really didn't notice. The nation of Israel didn't notice. Let's read the next verse. Joshua chapter 7, verse 3. When they returned, they told Joshua, there is no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, 
don't make all our people struggle to go up there. See, unknown to the people, this sin has taken place. God's favor has been removed from the nation of Israel. They didn't notice. And now the simplest, a, a battle that should have been a simple battle became an impossible task. So 3,000 warriors were sent. They didn't send the whole army. And they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the gate at the quarries. Go, go down to the next verse, chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at the turn of events, and their courage melted away. You remember previously when we were talking about the city of Jericho, it says that the people in Jericho inside the walls, they were paralyzed with fear. Now it's the people who had God's favor and now have lost God's favor who are now paralyzed with fear. And the simplest, this should have been a no-brainer. This should have been absolutely an easy victory. And you can see it in the story. It's really sad. God's favor was gone. This happens in churches, church communities. This happens in families. It happens in individuals. It happens in nations. It happens in countries. I, I want to, let me throw out a, a real heartfelt, okay, right now. Everybody ready to, to really bury something in your heart? You know, God has been good to our church community and removing us from the weight of these facilities that have been pressing down on us. He has given us a new piece of property. We've paid for it. We are working now behind the scenes with all of the works relating to permitting and, and our architects. There's a lot of things happening. We have volunteered uh, already to this moment the equivalent of the, the volunteer hours you all have put in has exceeded, if you just do the math, charge per hour, the hours, we're keeping track of the hours. We have had given by you, our church family, over $30,000 in volunteer work hours. And, and, and I, I couldn't be more grateful and more thankful for what I see happening but here's, here's the takeaway here. We have God's favor right now. I, I know that. I see it happening. We've talked to a supplier who has said, you know what, I don't ever do this. In fact, it's a company that's, that's about six or seven decades old and they've never given a financial discount to anyone, a church or anyone. And they said, I just feel moved to, to give you a discount on the bottom number of the materials and the products that, that you're, you're going to buy from us. And, and it wasn't a sales, that was not a sales slick. I, I, I know the situation, I know it well. And we have been praying quietly that God would do that. God is giving us favor. So here, here's the part I want you to hear me say. We are choosing not to get out of God and say, we want this all done really quick, so we're going to go to the bank and borrow money. Because I think the minute you do that, I, I'm not saying it's wrong for somebody else to do that. 
I'm just saying for us right now, God has pressed on my heart that we're supposed to trust him. We're supposed to do everything we can ourselves and let him do the rest. And I believe we have God's favor right now. I see it too many different times, too many different ways as a church community. But I hope you'll hear me say this. We cannot allow, if God takes me home tomorrow, if I have a heart attack and it's the big one and I go home, I hope you will hold to this vision of letting God provide for the needs of the church community that he has chosen to give favor to so that we can stay on point and complete the mission of putting all of our resources into reaching people for Jesus, not into a bank payment. When I came here 12 years ago, we were paying $50,000 a month on a mortgage payment. And, and I made a promise then. I said, if we can pay this off in one year, I will not put us back in debt. We have been in debt for four decades. And I want you to know, we've got a hold of this. This is an example of, I think, a, a moment when it's either we're trusting God or we're going to trust the bank. Does that make sense? And, and if we'll hold that, and then you need to transfer that principle to the decisions you make in your own home and, and what you'll do with credit. I, I know we all, I've borrowed money to buy homes. But, but please know this. The rest of the things we do with credit, oftentimes they're simply because we can't wait and we lose God's favor. We individually become oppressed by debt. The Bible even says, it spells it out, it says the borrower is a servant to the lender. And so from my heart to yours today, don't lose God's favor because you have to have a new shiny thing a little bit earlier. If God wants you to have it, start a savings account and go out and buy it. But please know this. Please know this. If you allow God time, he'll show you what he wants you to have. But if you push them aside, not only are you getting the weight of the sin, whatever it is, you also lose his favor. So here's the question. Let me kind of make this personal, if I can, as personal as I possibly can. Could it be that my present struggles are a result of losing God's favor? Only you can answer that. Because like Achan, oftentimes the sin is secret. But let's, let's look at another impact. We'll pick this idea up just a little bit more. Number three, losing God's favor results in confusion and uncertainty. Let's, let's read the verse immediately. Chapter seven, we're just moving through the story, verses six and seven. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They've now been told, you've lost the favor of Jehovah God. They threw dust on their heads, bowed down to the ground before the ark, of the Lord until even. You remember that had the three symbols in it representing God. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? Now, <laughs> Joshua got a little off track here. But it's pretty common. When people lose God's favor, they begin to question. And sometimes it's hard to get your head around it. And that's why I'm here to tell you, losing God's favor results in confusion and uncertainty. What's going on? Why is this happening? I don't get this. What have I done? 
What's going on? Certainly I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this happening, God? Usually when this kind of confusion sets into our life and uncertainty, usually you start looking at other people to find out what they've done to you, and oftentimes that'll be the case. But I want to propose to you today that you begin by looking at yourself. The next question in your notes. Do I often question why God allows certain things to happen in my life? That's kind of a trigger, uh, like a siren, to let you know that if you start there, when something you don't understand happens, and you start asking the why question, well, God, why is this happening? If you look at the person in the mirror and spend some time talking to God about that person in the mirror, you've got a better chance of figuring this thing out. But we're so prone to blame someone else. It starts out young. I, I told this story years and years and years ago. Most of you are new here, so here it is. It's, it's the best example I have of how we're so prone to pass the buck. I have two beautiful daughters. Our oldest daughter, uh, many of you know her, sings on the worship team and, and just love her dearly. Uh, she, at the time was about five years old. Her younger sister was a little younger than two. And I, I remember very clearly, we were driving down the road and the younger sister was at that point, now not to kind of bum you out here, but I got to call it what it was. She was toward the tail end of her potty training period, which as parents, those of you that have preschoolers, is that not a, is that not a happy day? When you start thinking, this is done, man. No more pampers. Diapers are done. And then you have another kid, right? <laughs> and you start it all over again. But uh, we thought we were done with that. And we were on kind of a long trip. And, you know, driving along house a little bit, or excuse me, cars a little bit of a confined place. And we began to smell the obvious proof that there had been an accident in the back seat. And uh, we began to ask the typical parenting. Some of the questions we ask are pretty stupid. Did someone have an accident back there? We knew someone had an accident. And uh, they're both looking at each other and going, no, no, no accidents back here. And Mindy, of course, is going, no, 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 no not me. No accidents here. So it's pretty obvious. We began to ask her sister, did you have an accident, honey? It's okay. We're not mad. And man, she, she went to town adamantly denying. No, I did not have an accident. You know what? There's There's kind of a a picture here of how sometimes we do dumb things and everybody around us smells it, but we're still going, no, no problem here. And, and finally, we said, honey, if it, that you're sitting in the mess, so you know the proof is kind of following you around right now, honey. I mean, we're a little befuddled. You gotta, I mean, you've had your kids do this before you. Don't look at me like my kids never told a fib, but, but ours did because they take after their mother. And so we got... <laughs> We got this going on, and I, uh, she's not in this service now. I did not use it in the first service when she was here, okay? But I, I just uh, finally said, well, honey, if you didn't mess in your britches, who messed in your britches? I thought that was a clever, I'll, I'll seal the deal here. And without hesitation, she said, Dad, sissy messed in my pants. And, and I honestly think some of us do almost the same thing when we cop out 
and blame other people for messing in our pants. We, I mean, think about some of the dumb things and excuses we make for not owning our own junk. So, the question, do I often question why God allows certain things to happen in my life? If I do, maybe I'm spending more time looking at what other people have done and should be spending a little bit more time looking at maybe what I might be responsible. So instead of asking God, <laughs> why? Maybe we should be asking God, what is it you want me to learn? Number four, here we go. Last thought, and we're going to end with a really super encouraging, positive thought here. Uh, regaining God's favor requires repentance and removal. There's, this is not rocket science. God's plan has always been from the Garden of Eden that when you mess up, God loves us. He wants to reclaim the relationship with us. He wants to once again bless us with his favor. So regaining God's favor requires repentance and removal, and, and removal, removal of what it is that is the stumbling block. So this verse shows us the road to recovery. Let's look at it. Uh, chapter 7, verse 13. You remember they've been throwing dirt in the air and falling with their face on the ground and crying out, what are we doing? Uh, verse 13. Get up. Command the people to, you might circle that word if you're working with a hard copy here, purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. I, uh, I think there's a secondary principle here about how we manage our, our resources I, I believe, you know, a lot of people will say, was well, tithing New Testament or not? I, I know what is certain, and I'm 100% certain of this, is God owns everything. I, I believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything I have belongs to him. And when I give to him a percentage of what he has blessed me with, and Kathy and I began that when we first got married. She was 18 and I was 20. And uh, I remember thinking, at the time, we can't afford it. I've all, I, I'd only been saved a couple of years. I was a new Christian. But we made a, a promise to God at that time. And we have found this to be true. That if we don't keep God's stuff, we keep his favor. If we don't keep his stuff, and we are givers of our time, our gifts, our, our talents, our treasures, we get his favor. And, and in this case, removing it means let it go. Give it, give it away. But on a, on a primary application here, it's talking about sin in our life that needs to be removed. In the case of Achan, he needed to be removed from the people. So the question that just begs to be asked and answered at this time is, what is it God's putting on your heart that you need to remove in order to have his favor? Repentance and removal. And, and, and be careful with this, and this is a whole other message, and I don't have time to talk about it, but when you remove something, when you quit doing something, because this room is filled with people, and I'm one of them, who have quit and removed something only to have that something creep its way back in to our lives. And so the key to removing is to replace that something. Don't just leave a vacuum. Vacuums have an amazing way of something else being sucked in to that vacuum. And oftentimes it's what we just removed. So put something in there. 
the Word of God, a scripture memory program, a prayer time, listening to great worship, you know, filling your mind and your heart with something that replaces, not, not just remove, but replace, a whole other idea, but, but be careful to not just remove. Repent and remove. And so this is an exciting moment because here we, we have the children of Israel now finding once again God's blessings. They're, they're having his presence visit them again. They, they now have God's favor. Uh, you know, there's some neat stuff here and I really don't have time to drill down on it, but this all took place in a, a part of the promised land, a, a valley that would be referred to later by both Hosea, the prophet, I love Hosea, and the prophet Isaiah. They both referred to this valley and it, it, it's kind of a play on words, but this was, a, this was a bad moment. I mean, the 12 stones that were along the bank of the Jordan River said, hey, look at that, that'll remind you. God is great, he got us across this river. But they now had a new pile of stones from the people who were condemned because of their disobedience, both the perpetrator and some innocent victims that were in his home and in his tent, which most Bible scholars know and believe, and I do too, that they were aware of what he did. So they were culpable. But this pile of stones, frankly, is not a, a really positive, exciting pile of stones. The execution there was a reminder of here's the cost of disobedience. But here's what God does, and this is a cool thing, and I want to close with this. What God can do with a, a terrible thing is he can turn it around because by the time Hosea comes around, this valley now represents the promise of hope that God forgives and you move forward in your life and his favor is returned. In fact, Isaiah even refers to that valley as the place where there, there will be peace and the grazing of sheep and, a, and it becomes a happy place. And so no matter what you've done, if you have been the victim of someone else's terrible actions, you, you've maybe experienced pain from that, God is there for you. Don't, don't, don't give up on God. You, you want his blessings, you get those because of other people's actions. Sometimes we got to take the lumps as well, but always keep in mind that when that happens, God's favor has not, what you have experienced has not been removed from you. It's the other person and their consequences are being visited upon you. And so I want to close with this last little thought here. When you have God's favor, it does not matter who has rejected you in the past because no one can stop his blessings in the future. So if you've been hurt in the past by someone else's actions, keep in mind, God's promises are true. Continue, press forward. He loves you. There's nothing that can stop that. And if you've messed up, if you're willing to be honest, like I try to be a transparent from this platform, acknowledge today that God cares and he is there and he is waiting to hear the words. Lord, I, I have sinned. Thank you for listening today. We hope your heart was inspired. For more information or directions, visit us at abt316.com.